Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. We started a series out of the book of 1 John. 1 John is a great book. It's, it's, it's one of my favourites. There's so much good stuff in here. And if you came uh, uh, for the first time today and you weren't here last week, what I thought I'd do, just for the benefit of those who may not have been here, I want to bring you up to speed or catch you up with who John actually is, and then I'm going to move straight into this. So we're going to do this for about the next five weeks. So John, just so you know, uh, John was an apostle. Uh, John was uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and in fact, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. But as we said last week, he did, of course, write that about himself. So who knows? But he, he said that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote the book of First John, Second John, shockingly, Third John. He wrote the Gospel of... Yes, he did. Look at all these scholars that are here today. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. And the reason that he wrote the book that we're reading today, uh, he wrote it in about 85 to 95 AD. And he wrote that to respond to some issues that were happening in the church. I mentioned that specifically because today I'm going to talk about one of those issues. And the issue that he was really dealing with primarily was something called Gnosticism. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. This is all it means. It's, it's sort of like secret or information or levels of knowledge that you obtain to get salvation. You know, it's like, I, I don't like it when church goes like that, when there are uh, little secret cliques and little groups and, you know, it's like it's us and it's them. I don't think church should ever be like that. I think church should be one family in one place. We're all in the same boat. We're all in this together. No one's better than anyone else. It's just the way that it is. That includes me, of course. And, uh, you know, the gospel, it's not complicated. There's no secrets when it comes to the gospel. I mean, it's literally this simple. Jesus Christ died on the cross to set you free from your sin. You didn't really deserve it, but He loved you, so He did it anyway. And because of Him, you have grace uh, all over your life and you have salvation because He loved you. I mean, the gospel is a really simple message to understand. Now, when John writes this letter, Man, I, I read it and I want to be honest and go ahead and say, he says stuff that I probably wouldn't have the guts to say. Uh, he is just so honest. He is straight down the line. And uh, there are some things that I read in here and some things that we're going to cover in the next couple of weeks. And in fact, we did cover some stuff last week. And again, this week we'll do the same. He says some things that I probably wouldn't say, but he has been really bold. And so naturally, of course, there are some things that are confronting, but... Thanks be to God that we have some grace for us as well. I think this is such a personal thing for John as well because, you know, I mean, he really did life with Jesus. I mean, he, he literally did life, spent three years on a journey with Jesus. And so when he writes this stuff, it, it's not theoretical. I mean, he, he spent time with him. So for him, I think it's deeply personal. And lucky for us, it's deeply practical. So is that okay with you? Because I didn't prepare anything else. Literally all I've done was this message. So I'm glad that you're okay with it because if you're not, I was probably going to do it anyway. So I'm glad that's okay with you though. Can we pray? God, thank you for your word. I pray it changes us. We don't want to be people that come and, and sit here and uh, look at your word and, and read it and go away unchanged. Actually, God, 
we need to be challenged sometimes. God, I pray that we would feel challenged, but at the same time encouraged. And God, I pray that your grace would just rest upon everything that unfolds here in the next few moments that we have together. I pray that you empower us to live the life that you're calling us to. God, I pray for people that, that uh, you know, we're here last week. That, Lord, we heard that you want to call us out of darkness and into the light. God, I pray that we just step out. I pray we surrender to you today. Give our whole hearts, our whole lives to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Awesome. So, John, he, last week, just so you know, we spoke a message uh, about walking in the light. Well, John has taken the liberty to describe to us what that actually looks like. So we wouldn't be confused about what it actually might look like to walk in the light. So he's gone ahead and done that. So let me read this scripture to you. It comes amazingly out of 1 John. And it's in chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. He says, my little children. And he's not running a kids ministry, just so you know. He's talking about uh, people who are young in the faith. And he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you for a purpose so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What a title. He is the propitiation. I'll explain that word later. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He's talking about Jesus. If you say that you follow him, you should walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Have you ever had a parent fail? Hands up if you've just had a parent fail. If John was here, he'd call some of you liars right now. Parent fails when you've done something with your kids that you regret, that you wish that you didn't do. And a parent fail could be giving them ice cream right before you send them to bed. Parent fail. It's a rookie mistake. It's okay. And uh, you think, why is it taking me an hour to get them into their pajamas? Parent fail. You didn't know what you were doing. You gave them ice cream. You gave them sugar. You gave them lollies. You gave them sherbet. Don't do it. It's parent fail. So uh, it's really easy to do this. I'm going to be really honest this morning because this word has challenged me to be honest. So let me be honest with you this morning about a parent fail. My, My son, Judah, he's at school. And uh, Sarah and I pick him up from school one day, and he says to me, Dad, I, uh, I learned a swear word at, at school today. He's hanging out with some friends, you know, that know some words. And he says, I learned a swear word today. And I said, oh, I said, okay. I said, well, what is it? And he says, <laughs> he goes, you say it first, and I'll tell you if it's the right one. said, nah. 
said, it doesn't work that way, mate. I said, you tell me what it is. He goes, no, I'm not saying it, Dad. You say it. You, no. So this goes on, and I said, just tell me what the word is, right? And I'm like, I wonder if he's learned something or if he just, you know, he thinks it's a word that it's not. He didn't want to say it out loud. So I, I leaned over and listened to him say this word. And I thought, maybe he's going to have a swear word there. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's, maybe he's going to say something. What I wasn't prepared for was how articulate he would use that word in a sentence. So I leaned over and he gave me an example of how you might use that word. I heard what he said and the right response at that point is to look with disgust and say, I can't believe that you know that. Make sure you don't ever say that again, right? I burst out laughing. Parent fail. And here is the worst part about it. The whole thing was terrible. No one's arguing that. I agree. It was terrible. I heard it. I just wasn't prepared for it to be used in a sentence. And he said it and I could not stop laughing. And I'm trying to keep my mouth closed and I'm losing it, right? And so have you ever... (laughs) Have you ever had to turn away from your own children because you're laughing and you don't want them to see that you're laughing because you're going to, you know, ruin the whole teaching moment? That's what I did. I thought to myself, it's cool, Sarah's more mature than I am, so I will look to her for support. She's putting a pram in the back of the car. She is shaking uncontrollably (laughs) at the situation that's going on and I'm looking at her for support and I found none. And we just messed that up. And I thought, what a bad example of what you should do in that situation. When, of course, I composed myself and I was able to get everything back together, I said to him, I said, I literally admitted it. I said, I know I'm laughing, but this is a serious matter. And you need to know that if you ever say that word again, you're going to be in big trouble. You can forget about pocket money. I'm serious, right? And he goes, I know, Dad, I would never say that. I was just letting you know that I heard it. I'm like, okay, right? So parent fail. That's what I did. Parent fail. It's just a bad example of how to do it. I think it's so important in life that we try to set the right example. Do you know when I was a Christian, uh, I was Right when I was making the decision to become a Christian, I turned 34 this year. I was 21 when I came back uh, to, in, into church and so forth. And I remember when I came back to church and uh, I was looking for someone to be a great example for me. And to be honest, there were probably some great examples at the church that I was at. But I was, to be honest, probably looking for someone uh, more my own age, you, you know, so I could sort of model myself on and... And so I came in, and I know this might sound crazy to you, but it made sense to me at the time when I found uh, people that I thought I could be more like them. I actually thought they've been Christians longer. I can get away with a lot more than they can. So whatever they did, I would just push the boundaries on it. And I would just go a a little bit further than what they did. And, you know, I realized after a while that I was probably just not paying attention to the right examples. In fact, I was looking to these people where actually probably what I should have been doing is looking more towards my Savior Jesus and taking the points of correction from my life from the Word of God rather than just looking at how other people lived. Do you know that when I became a Christian and rededicated my heart to Jesus, 
I did it uh, on one Sunday morning. It was a surprise to me too. I couldn't believe that I was there and I was actually making that decision. I just wound up at church. And you know, it took me about 12 months to get the information to travel such a short distance from my head to my heart. How many people do you know that have information in their head, but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to make it to their heart? And I am a great example of someone who took 12 months to do it. I think we, you know, we ought to be really careful about how we treat people. You know, you can't have someone that comes in, makes a decision to follow Jesus. They come back next week and suddenly we bring on the clamps and we say, well, now that you've made the decision... You ought to start behaving like this and you can't do that and you can't do this. The truth is, is it takes time for people to begin to, to start to live the life that God has called them to. When you become a Christian, how many of us understand that you don't forget your memories and you don't forget your habits and some of the stuff that was in your heart and in your life that before you became a Christian, it continues and stays on even after you become a Christian. That was certainly my experience. I think when people become a Christian, we should set the right example, but cut them some slack and let them just start to try to live the life. You know, the best thing that we can do as examples is be what they want to be and try to show that example, but completely meet people with grace and completely meet people where they're at and encourage them and get around them and lift them up and begin to prophesy great things into their life. And I just think that that's the way that we do it. Rules and regulations doesn't work, you know. That's not what brought them to that place in making that decision. And it's certainly not what's going to keep them in that place and making that decision. I just think that the truth is the life that we live, you can live a life where you actually can cause people to rise to something or they can fall to something. If you're here today and to be honest, if you're a guest or you're here today, you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you've joined us. You're kind of getting a look in this morning because really this message is written straight to people that are know Jesus. It'll be relevant for everyone, but it's really written to people who know Jesus. When it comes to your Christianity, when it comes to your life, do you, are you authentic or schizophrenic? Are you authentic or are you schizophrenic? You know, I've, my kids, when I take them to school, it's all hugs and kisses at home, isn't it? And then we get to school and it's all high fives and fist bumps. Because uh, they're, they're around their school schoolmates. You know, it's kind of funny how some people completely shift their personality depending on who's around them. Do you know anyone who in the home, uses the right language and they speak kindly and all the rest of it. And maybe you're, you're a tradie or something, you work out, you get on the work site and it's almost as if you undergo a personality lobotomy at that point. You get out and your whole disposition changes. Everything about you shifts and changes. Do you know why? I think it's because human beings... We just want to kind of naturally assimilate because we want to build relationships. We want to be friends with people. And I think that that's great. What did Paul the Apostle said? He said, to the Jew, I became a Jew. You know, it's okay to actually try to uh, get around people and build relationships with people and, 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 you know, shift to sort of try to fit in. But I don't think that you should do it at the cost of your character. And I don't think you should do it at the cost of your values. And if you have to completely change who you are to try to fit in, 
you may have landed in a really dangerous spot in life. And here's what it is. I think we have a major dysfunction when we are primarily concerned with what people think about us and with what the world thinks about us. And that becomes more weighty in our life than what God thinks about us. Doesn't God's opinion of you matter most? Where does your security come from in life? See, the kind of people that are shifting and in and out of personality and they're just trying to assimilate and be like everyone else and completely throw out their values just when they get around the right people tells me something about them that they're not secure enough to be who they are. So where are they drawing their security from? They're probably drawing it from people because they want people's approval in their life. The reason that John wrote what we're looking at today is he said, you know what? There are some people who are claiming to be Christians, but there are a whole bunch of inconsistencies in their life. There's a whole bunch of things that they are doing right now that they are saying right now. And here they are off the back of last week's message. They say they're walking in the light and they say that they're following Jesus. But the truth is, if you take just five minutes and take a quick look at their life, you'll discover really quickly that they're not following Jesus at all. And yet they think that they are. They're shifting. They're changing. They're not doing exactly what Jesus said that they should do. You know, there was a missionary by the name of E. Stanley Jones. And he was a missionary in India and he spent some time with Gandhi. And you may have heard this before. And he spent some time with Gandhi. And Gandhi grew up, well, I'm not sure exactly where he grew up, but I know he spent some time in America. And uh, he actually went to church. And after going to church, he decided, I don't want to be like them. So the missionary challenged him. He said, you know, so many of your values and the things that you say, so many of those things are just like what Christian people would say. Why do you reject Jesus Christ? And he said, his response was profound. He said, I don't reject Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. It's just that your Christians are so unlike their Christ. Ouch. Oh, does that sting? Because the people that he met turned him away from a relationship with Jesus. And that's meant to be the church. It's meant to be the people that reach out to people and, you know, love people into the kingdom. Jesus said, you will recognize my disciples by how they love one another. If you live in a life and you just don't have love in your life and those things aren't coming out of you, you've got to, I think, ask yourself the question, am I really setting the right example? I know that if I was to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and you're here today and you're a Christian, the truth is you would say to me, I never want to be anyone's stumbling block. But if you live a life that professes Christ with your mouth, but your actions and your behavior are so far removed, people see that. Here's something that Jesus said. Jesus said to the Pharisees, He says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Do you know why? He said, because you're hypocritical. You say one thing and your actions and your behaviors, they reflect something completely different. Do you know why? Because when it comes to Christianity, it is deeply practical. It is deeply practical. What we do is not theoretical. What we do is not out there somewhere in spiritual space. What we do is real. It's on earth. People can see it and they should be able to point to it. 
Do you know, I think one of our biggest frustrations with politicians sometimes is that when it comes to an election campaign, they will say anything to get across the line. And when they get elected, they don't build the freeway they said they were going to build. And instantly what happens is a crack begins to form in their character. And at the end of the day, can you really elect people to be in your life if you can't trust them? And suddenly you start to think, oh man, I hope the life that I live doesn't have cracks all the way through it because otherwise I'm not going to be able to be in that position in a person's life to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. Now I said that you need to be authentic But I need to tell you, authenticity is not about being perfect. Authenticity is about being real. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in this together. Every single one of us in this room, no one is better than anyone else. We're all saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's just the way that it is. And so John comes along to people that are all in the same boat. And he still gives them universally this advice. He says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you do not sin. When you have decided that you want to follow Jesus, there comes a point in your life where you say, I'm actually not going to leave room and provision in my life for these things anymore. I'm going to shut the door on those conversations I'm going to shut the door on that behavior. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to hang out necessarily with those people that might be influencing you in the wrong way or whatever it is. You start to just, you know, look at your life and think, I don't want to do this with my life anymore. You start to address it. Do you remember, I said this last week, what you're not addressing in your life, you're basically giving approval for it to be there and just let it sit John challenges everyone and he says, hey, don't sin, address it. Don't sin. And then he gets really real and he says, but by the way, when you do sin, thank God we've got an advocate, Jesus Christ. I love how real that is. Hey, everyone, don't sin. And when you do, you have Jesus. Thank God. Because actually, even though you might try, you're going to fail. It's going to happen. You're going to mess it up. Do you know what an advocate is? An advocate is someone who comes and stands in the way on our behalf and intercedes for us. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, the words that we read this morning, it said that Jesus was our propitiation for the sins of not only us, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is a, listen in, I've said this before, but you may have heard this for the first time today. It's a sacrifice that turns God's wrath into favour. Jesus became a sacrifice that turned what could have been God's wrath in your life into favour. And and actually that favour, just so you know, it's not somewhere out there in the spiritual universe. It's on you. It's a present reality. It's in this world. And the moment you step through the doors and say, Jesus, I receive you as Lord and Saviour, that favour is on you. It instantly diverts anything that would have been coming your way and instead it replaces it with favour on your life. See, being a Christian is not about what we do. It's actually not about your behaviour and your words. It's about your belief system and it rests entirely on what Jesus did. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. It doesn't mean that you just give up and walk away and you think, 
Because if you heard this wrongly, what you could say is, hey, this is awesome. So you're telling me, and I've had friends of mine that have said this to me, you're telling me that I'm not going to get anything right. Yeah, correct. You won't be perfect. So why bother trying? I mean, if I'm saved by grace, why don't I just live my life the way that I want? And at the end of my life, I'll just ask Jesus to come and save me. Set me free. I'm done. And I'll ask him. I'll invite him in. I've literally had people say that to me. Paul the Apostle heard the same thing once, and this was his response. He said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? In other words, should we just continue to live our lives in direct opposition to what Jesus has said? Because at the end of the day, we know we're not perfect. We know we're not going to get it right. It's all covered by grace anyway. So who cares? I'm just going to ask for forgiveness. And he answers his own question. And he says, by no means should you ever do that. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why would you after that point continue to make provision in your life for stuff you know shouldn't be there. You see, if you think about grace wrongly, grace didn't come and lower the standard for you to step over. That's not what grace does. In fact, if you look at Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He said, you've heard it said to you, and he would quote something from the law. And then he comes along and he says, but I say to you, and he always increased the standard of the law. He said, you want to know what it's going to take? It's going to take this. And you're going to try your best and by the way, you're going to fail. But grace didn't lower the standard. In fact, everywhere that Jesus went, he increased the standard and he said, and when you fail, grace will close the gap. When you mess it up, I'm going to make sure I'm going to be there to help you by the way. You need to know your example gives people something to rise to or it gives something for people to you know, basically lower themselves to, to fall to. And that is so important because what you do will be copied by the people around you. How many of you know, and if you've got kids, you'll know this, is that kids will just repeat what you do, not what you say. And if there's a disconnect between what you're saying with your mouth and how you're living your life, the truth is they'll just, they'll just do what you do. I remember when I, was, um, I started going to uni and... Uh, I had a friend of mine, Kirk, he came to me and he said, are you a Christian? I said, no. And uh, he came to me a couple of times and he said, you are a Christian. I said, all right, all right. I said, I'll tell you the truth. I said, I believe the whole thing, but my life is in such a mess. I would hate for anyone to think that this is what a Christian should look like. So I'm just below the radar. That's what I said. I said, I would hate for anyone to think that this is the way someone should live. So I just say I'm not one. Because honestly, there are things in my life that I know are not right. And I was making provision for those things to be there. So I said, please, I don't want anyone to know that I'm a Christian. Don't follow my example. Years later, I remember I went with a, a friend of mine. Uh, we went out to a, a high school. It was a Catholic high school because I worked in recruitment and they needed a bookkeeper. And so we're driving out. And the person in the car said to me, I think I'm Catholic. I said, sweetheart, if you think you're Catholic, you're not. She said, what do you mean? I said, if you don't know, you're not. She said, but my parents are Catholic. I said, that's great for them. But if you don't make a decision to follow Jesus yourself, you're not Catholic. And she goes, what are you saying about me? It's like it literally came as revelation to her. She said, you suggesting to me that I'm not anything? I said, that's what you're, you're, you're not anything. You're not following anything. 
You know, I, I, so the good news for you is you can make a decision to follow Jesus anytime you want. And she said, well, my parents don't really go to church. And I said, do they believe in the message? She's like, not really. I said, well, they're not really following either. And as she began to speak, I realized something. I'm this person's only example of what a Christian should be. And it sort of rang home to me the importance of trying to set the right example in every situation. So when it comes to you setting your example, how are you doing your relationships? How are you doing your taxes? How are you doing your marriage? How are you just doing life generally? Because everything that you do says something about your belief system and it says something about what you really believe and who you are. And man, this is a big challenge. I told you I would not say this. I'm just doing what John said. Because he's just so real. He's just so authentic. He just cares so much about this message. I think your authenticity depends on your revelation. I think your authenticity will depend on what you can actually see. If you're a person who expects perfection of yourself, you're going to fail. And actually, if you fail, then you're going to struggle because there'll be so much self-condemnation in your life that you won't know where to go or what to do. And if you've ever seen anybody try to minister out of that place, you can really only minister out of who you are. So if you've got so much self-condemnation in your life and you're always down on yourself, naturally some of that is actually going to bleed through. You'll probably be led to have a works-based mentality. And I don't know, call me crazy, but I don't think that's the way that Jesus walked at all. Of course, you can lean the other way. You can have no expectation of yourself and who cares? Because grace will cover it all. That's not grace. That's actually apathy. And actually, that's not how Jesus walked at all either. See, if you have the wrong expectation of your life, you can mess this up. I love what John Newton said. John Newton was a, a slave trader. He was a captain of a ship and he would ship slaves around and he became a preacher of the gospel, got saved. And this is what he said. He said, I am not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. You are not what you ought to be. But you're still not what you used to be. By His grace, you are what you are. Do you know what you are? You are a child of God and no amount of bad behavior will stop you being God's child. You just may not be following Him properly. You know what? That's, that's where your security should come from. That's where all of that should come from. It's your relationship with God. You're not what you ought to be, but you're on your way. So if you're encountering opposition, you're like, man, this is just so tough. Don't give up because you probably came a long way. You're not what you used to be anymore. You know, Paul wrote in a letter to Timothy and he said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God. Oh, I love that. Just do your best. Do your best and let grace cover the rest. But at least try. At least give it a shot. Just don't allow stuff to just be in your life and be comfortable with it there. And you're like, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that stuff being there. Don't be okay with that. Do your best. And when you mess up, when you, when you don't do things that are right, be honest about it. Admit to it. Confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Repent. Just get back on track. It's cool. Don't worry. It'll happen to everyone at some point in their life. And you just get your life back on track. Do you know what you do next day? You wake up, you get on your knees, you start praying again, you start reading the Bible. Do you know what's amazing to me? 
the amount of people that struggle and limp through life. And when you really have a good conversation with them, so many people just can't master the basics. I struggle with it too sometimes. Do you know what the basics are? Pray, read. Just get on your knees. How many prayer times in your life get interrupted by different priorities? How easy is it to clean your room or wash your car when you should be praying? It's amazing how we prioritise all these other things in our life. When it comes to reading the Word of God, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be religious or get works-based or anything here. I'm just saying, if you actually see the Bible the way that it is, don't you want that stuff on the inside of you? And actually, how many people do you know? Like, honestly, just be real with yourself today. No condemnation from me. Be honest with yourself and say, man, am I getting up? Am I reading that? Because there is a really great reason that you should be doing that every day. And here it is. When you master the basics, when you spend time in God's presence, when you read, when you pray, it actually does something. It transforms you. And how many people are frustrated with their own personal growth in Christ? I just wish that I could hear God's voice. Pay the price. Get on your knees. You know, talk to Him. Dwell in His presence. Read the Bible. This is what the Bible says in 1 John. John wrote this. He said, And now, little children, abide in Him. Do you know what abide means? It means to dwell in His presence. It says, Abide in Him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, you're, when, you, when you die, when you go to heaven, it will not, you know, that hasn't appeared yet. That hasn't happened yet. But this is what we know, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall See him as he is. Look at it in the reverse. When you see him as he is and he begins to appear to you, something happens to you, you're transformed and you start to become more like him. If you want to become more like Jesus, I know it just kind of makes sense to me that you should spend more time with him so you've got the example in your life to follow. And to be honest, it's probably not enough to come and sit in church and listen to my revelation or get engaged in this um, amazing worship moment and walk out and then never apply anything in your own life. If you actually want to be transformed, you've got to get into his presence. I'm going to say something right now, and this is going to cut straight to the point. I think the devil will always try to present himself in your life and put shame on you to keep you from God's presence because he knows something about you. He knows that if you get in the presence of God, that you'll become more like him. And if he has one goal for your life, it would be to prevent you from becoming more like your savior. There's a quote in the front of my Bible here. And it says, um, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. I didn't know who said that till I prepared for this message. And I found out who said it, it was actually John Wesley's mum. John Wesley, the famous preacher, his mum said to him, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book, because shame prevents transformation. It will keep you in darkness. When you see him as he is, it changes you. It transforms you. 
If you want to be transformed more and, and to be made more into the image of Christ, if you want to walk the way that He did, there's no shortcuts. There's no microwave version. There's no app download. There's no nothing. Pay the price and spend time in His presence and stop shortcutting that stuff in your life. And if you start to master just the basics, this is not a new thing, but it's a good thing. You start to master the basics in your life and you'd be amazed what happens to you. You know, the passage that we read this morning, it said, knowing Him perfects His love in you. Knowing Him perfects His love in you. The word perfects actually means to bring to completion. It means to see the fulfillment of a plan. Do you think that God's got a plan for your life? Amen, He does. And guess what? The best way that you can begin to see God's plan unfold in your life is to actually spend time with Him. I don't know what God's plan is for my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. Am I going to the left or to the right? What should I do? You would be surprised what happens when you spend time in His presence. When you come under the presence of God and you start to know Him, things start to get perfected in your life. The love of God begins to get perfected in your life. You start to live out of the convictions that are honestly just formed in this book. And when you apply this stuff to your life, you would be so surprised what begins to happen in your world. You start to produce fruit. The fruits of the Spirit. Do you know why we talk about fruit? Because it's something that you can see. It's the evidence. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. You know what, Nia? When it comes to fruit, it should be something that people could point to and they say, Aha, I knew that something was different about you. Look at all the fruit that you, you bear in your life. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me, for you can do nothing apart from me. You ever feel like you hit the wall in life and you get stuck and you just can't go any further? Let me just give you a a hot tip this morning. You can do nothing apart from Him. If you spend a life where you spend most of your time apart from Him. Don't get frustrated at the fact that you're not progressing the way that you'd like to. You've got to spend time in His presence. It transforms you. It changes you. He said that we know by this, we know the ones who follow Jesus. We know it's the ones that obey Him. We know that. He says, the ones who obey Him, they walk like Him. Who can walk like Him? It's the ones who spend time with Him. The best people that can walk like Jesus did are the ones who spend time with Him. And the more time you spend with Him, it gives you a goal. It gives you a purpose. It speaks a word of knowledge. It gives you a prophecy. And suddenly, everything that you thought, you thought you hit the wall, but you spent time in His presence and your whole thing, your whole situation, your whole challenge was completely converted in that moment. I don't know about you. I want to walk like Jesus did. I don't want to let the fundamentals go not be spending time with God in my life and say, why am I hitting the wall again? I don't want to wait till I hit an obstacle before I'm challenged to get on my knees. How many people have to wait till something negative happens in your life before you reflect and go, I haven't spent any time with God. I know the answer. I'll do that again. But what if you just lived out of that place? 
trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.